Hello, and welcome to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra Virtual Pre-Concert. This is Carl Grapentine, formerly of WFMT Radio in Chicago, and once again I'm looking forward to sharing some thoughts and excerpts from this week's concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Our guest conductor this week is Marek Janowski, chief conductor of the Dresden Philharmonic, he was born in Warsaw, Poland in 1939, he's 82, but grew up in Germany. He's made dozens of recordings, almost all of Germanic repertoire, including many operas, and he has guest conducted the Chicago Symphony and also Lyric Opera of Chicago. We have a fairly conventional program tonight in the sense of an overture, a concerto, and a symphony and we'll take them in program order. The concert begins with Felix Mendelssohn's Hebrides Overture. Mendelssohn composed this overture in 1830, so he was 21 years old. The overture was inspired by Mendelssohn's trip to Scotland, an 1829 excursion to the Hebrides Islands, and to a sea cave known as Fingal's Cave. He immediately jotted down what would be the opening theme for this composition after seeing the island for the first time. And he even sent a postcard to his family with that opening phrase. At first, he was going to call the work To the Lonely Island, but then settled on the title Hebrides Overture, but then a publisher chose to call it Fingal's Cave, and so it's really been known by both titles. It's not an overture to anything. It's a nine-minute tone poem depicting the islands and the cave and the sea. Johannes Brahms once said, I would gladly give all I have written to have composed something like the Hebrides Overture. The overture consists of two primary themes. The opening of the overture is the theme that Mendelssohn wrote down while visiting the cave, suggesting the power and the beauty of the cave and the ebbing and the flowing of the waves. Here is the opening with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Fritz Reiner. Now we come to the concerto, the second work on the program, Manx Bruch's Violin Concerto No. 1. Bruch lived from 1838 to 1920, 
so he was 30 years younger than Mendelssohn. His first violin concerto was completed in 1866, and the first performance was given on April 24th of that year by violinist Otto von Königsloh, with Bruch himself conducting. The violinist Königsloh was a bit older, and so he had known Mendelssohn and the Schumanns and Josef Joachim. The concerto was then revised with help from the violinist Josef Joachim. We talked about him a few weeks ago in conjunction with the Brahms concerto, and then the revision completed a year later. The first movement is unusual in that it's a vorspiel, a prelude to the second movement, and it's directly linked to the second movement. The piece starts off slowly with quiet woodwinds, and then the solo violin begins with a cadenza. The movement contains a very strong first theme, also a slower, very melodic second theme. Here are the opening bars, played in this recording by violinist Shlomo Mintz with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Claudio Abado. When this first movement ends with two cadenzas, it then flows right into the second movement, connected by a single low note in the first violins. And then comes the gorgeous slow melody, which is really the heart of this concerto.
And then this melody builds to this climax of the famous second movement. And then the third movement, the finale, is marked Allegro Energico. It opens with a quiet orchestral introduction. And then the soloist plays the very energetic theme in brilliant double stops. It's very much like a dance moving at a very fast tempo. And then the piece ends by speeding up to a fiery finish. Here is the opening of the last movement. Bruch composed two more violin concertos, but neither of them gained as much fame as the first, which was a source of great frustration for him. Our violin soloist on these concerts is a familiar face, Chicago Symphony Concertmaster Robert Chen. Born in Taiwan in 1969, he has two degrees from the Juilliard School, and he's now been concertmaster of the CSO since 1999. And so we move to the second half of the program, Mozart's Final Symphony, Symphony Number no. 41, The Jupiter. It was the summer of 1788. Mozart was now 32 years old. He had another three years left to live. He had just been appointed imperial court composer in Vienna. His opera, Don Giovanni, which had been such a hit in Prague the year before, had its Vienna premiere and not as successfully. Also that year, Wolfgang and Constanze lost their baby daughter Theresia at the age of six months. They had been living in the heart of Vienna, but the debts that would plague Mozart for the last three years of his life had begun and so they moved to the suburbs, where they had a garden. And it was here, in this summer garden, in the space of less than two months, that Mozart wrote his last three symphonic masterpieces, we now know as symphonies 39, 40, and 41. Conductor Dame Jane Glover, music director of Chicago's Music of the Baroque, in her book, Mozart's Women, wrote, 
None of these symphonies was actually commissioned, so unusually there was no financial incentive, let alone reward, for writing them, and yet they represent the summit of Wolfgang's symphonic genius. For him, the creation of these unquestionable masterpieces was an escape from his personal sorrows and professional anxieties. He entered an untroubled, alternative world where his gifts prospered and soared. The coda to his Symphony No. 41 in C, for instance, with its effortlessly brilliant five-part invertible counterpoint, is truly Olympian. Hence, probably, it subsequently acquired sobriquet, the Jupiter Symphony. Unquote Jane Glover. By the way, it was a publisher who put the name Jupiter on this score, just trying to dress it up to get better sales. Uh, Mozart was already dead when that title was added. There's no reason to believe that Mozart knew that his Symphony No. 41 would be his last, but the complexity and the creativity could very well be seen as a summation of his art. It is a masterpiece. We already heard Jane Glover's comment on the Jupiter Symphony. Robert Schumann said, There are things in the world about which nothing can be said. Mozart's C Major Symphony No. 41, much of Shakespeare, and pages of Beethoven. Nevertheless, I will try to say some things about the symphony. All of the excerpts we're about to hear are played by the group Orchestra Mozart, led by Claudio Abbado. Here is the opening of the first movement, marked Allegro Vivace. In the space of just four bars, the first theme contains a bold opening mood and a quiet, pensive one. The second movement is marked Andante Cantabile. The warmth and the intimacy of this movement come partially from the muted strings.
The third movement is a minuet, menuetto, it's marked allegretto, and it is very high-spirited. movement, Molto Allegro, the famous finale. It's an elaborate fugue based on a very simple theme, a theme you'll hear a lot of. It's just four notes, Do, Re, Fa, Mi, one, two, four, three. Here is the opening of that last movement. eventually leads to the amazing coda and the final pages. That simple four-note theme of the final movement, where did it come from? Well, here are some thoughts. Listen for just a moment to the slow movement of Mozart's Symphony No. 1, composed at the age of nine. (laughs) ¶¶ 
And then here is the Credo from Mozart's Misa Brevis in F major, Kirchel 192. He composed this at the age of 18. And just for fun, here is the finale of Haydn's Symphony Number no. 13. Now, this was composed when Mozart was seven, and Mozart probably never, ever heard this symphony. Still... As far as we know, this masterpiece symphony was never performed in Mozart's lifetime. He never mentioned it in his letters. It was Robert Schumann who said, Does it not seem that Mozart's works become fresher and fresher the more often we hear them? And Antonin Dvorak, another composer, said, Mozart is sunshine. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the sunshine.